life finds a way, you know. Life finds a way, god damn it. Welcome to the Fully Club, the Jurassic Park sequels episode. Yeah, different year, different shit. An episode 3.1 million seconds in the making. I checked. <laughs> I checked. I, I, I hate you so much for <laughs> making that, that joke. <laughs> you were adamant for me, not making the joke in the last Jurassic Park, so I had to do something about it I, i i was i was hoping I, i i put my hope on the fact that since since we avoided the joke on the first time it wouldn't creep creep back into the episodes well here i am prove me wrong this is Kari oyala my co-host is henrik telki who is who is so fed up with this shit and way too jaded which is is in keeping with with as as you mentioned today's theme which is the jurassic park sequels also films and a franchise that is kind of really fed up with its own shit. I'm not sure how many Finnish people actually do film podcasts or podcasts in English. That That's what we try to do here. Well, once too many, I bet, if you ask from the international audiences. The, the, the horrible Finnish rally accent, which always creeps into when Finns spe- speak in English. I went through a course of British accent before kind of test driving which rally version should I go for <laughs> rally American or rally British let's just stick with what works at least to an extent somewhere in the listener feedback most definitely you have heard you you have gotten the suggestion that I I, I should you know do something from my my ran over rotten weasel corpse Nascali voice and and try to do some kind of a British accent. I can I can guarantee you and I, I can assure you that that would be a horrible mistake and it would wouldn't work at all. I, I don't know. May, maybe maybe someday I I can go full. Oh, what you say, <laughs> Not bad, <laughs> actually. Yeah, we are a podcast that does not break down accents, but uh, international cinema every week. And I studied. Uh, Media, I'm a media stud- studies graduate. Henrik went more fancy. His studies now in the University of Lapland. Lapland is a region partially located in northern Finland. If you didn't know, and Henrik's title is gonna be Master of Arts. Someday, hopefully, Un- unless the alcoholism takes me. How how was Henrik's time off from the lab for over a month? This is the longest break that we have ever taken here. And I must confess, I did jack shit concerning this podcast during my break. <laughs> the, the utmost I did was I I did watch the the films for for tonight, and and did some background research. But other than that, I I completely forgot that I'm even doing a film podcast. I tried to do the same, but so what are we gonna talk about today, Henrik? Today we are gonna talk about, as as you already mentioned, we are gonna talk about the rest of the Jurassic Park films up until to this date. That means four movies in total. 
this is a listener recommendation. Long overdue. Uh, we we like ages ago we got, got a, a listener asked us to go through the Jurassic Park films as in plural, and we did the first one, and we considered doing the second one, and then we realized that that's the second Jurassic Park film, and then we just postponed it up until this date when we decided that now, returning from the Christmas break, we are trying to do a bit of a new type of format here on the podcast, and this is kind of our first try to to kind of liven up the... The way how we do these episodes and the way how we talk about films. Yeah, and is it going to be four or five films, actually? Did you check out the battle at Big Rock? I, I did, but I don't really count that as a film because that's eight minutes short. Yeah, but I guess we can talk about it a little bit. We, we can talk about it a little bit. There really is not that much to talk about. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of battle of... Big Rock and little to talk about. That's actually kind of a fitting theme for for today's episode. It turned out. It turned out. I I haven't checked out the Jurassic Park films, the sequels, for quite some time now. I I I checked two and three like several years ago, and I've only once before seen the two Lost World films. That being the times when they came out in in cinemas. So there's a long gap between the Jurassic Park sequels and with me. And now that I've checked them out again, I I must say that Jurassic Park sequels are perhaps a a prime example, a really good opportunity for us to to stretch the new podcast episode formula, where we talk about several films in one episode, because... By God damn, help me. There is not enough material in Jurassic Park sequels to merit four independent episodes. <laughs> this, this fucking franchise, like, like spoilers, spoilers for the entire franchise. If you have seen the first two Jurassic Park films, you pretty much seen the entire franchise. If you've seen the first three, Jurassic Park films, you most definitely have seen the entire franchise, because Jurassic Park, as it turns out, it's a film franchise that has five films, one basic premise, people go to Dinosaur Island, and from that basic premise, it can manage three different plot lines. And if, if at this point, if at this point you are kind of going, wait a minute, like how does one math, five films and three stories, how, how does that work? Well, it turns out it really fucking don't. You're being generous. Three. Okay, let's let's find out and dig deep. Yeah, let's. Let's. I'm, I'm like, I, I admit already, I'm being generous. Because this is talking about all of the sequels, I thought it could be a good idea to still slightly revisit the first Jurassic Park. So we could talk about what the first one did better or what worked there and hasn't worked since. Well, essentially everything worked better in in the first one. Yeah, the original, uh, of course, it's been kind of a childhood fascination for many of us. And you could say that it has 
changed a lot of people's views, perhaps, towards cinema. Or it, it was such of a huge event back in 1993, and it was the most successful movie up to that point. Yeah, uh, it, it was a phenomenon when it came out. Yeah. Like, it, it was a major thing. You couldn't run away from Jurassic Park, even if you tried. When it originally came out, the hype machine was was really extraordinary. Everywhere, also, even in Finland, in basically every publication that existed in Finland, some form of Jurassic Park hype was going on. And when the film came out, the, the hype machine was, was still go, going strong. There were news reports how Jurassic Park broke all the records. And even, even after it was done, like after it had left the theaters, Jurassic Park was, was still phenomenal. Like, like the, the impact that Jurassic Park had, at least in Finland, in the pop culture discourse back in the date, it's something that I, I feel has not really ever given, you know, high enough praise because it really mm. was was something. It, it was a major topic in, in Finland also, the whole Jurassic Park thing. And it, it remained as one. We're talking about a film that is something that came out only two years after the Terminator 2, which was a milestone in CGI or computer-generated imagery. And here we are, and uh, what does Steven Spielberg do? He takes dinosaurs back to life for people. You know, we are, we are not talking about any kind of a small... This, is, this was huge, huge. Everybody flocked to see this, and it generated over $1 billion in box yeah. office. Yeah, and, and since you said, like you said it, uh, it's a film that also brought the dinosaurs back to people. Yeah, and and it really did that. Like the dinosaur boom was was revitalized by Jurassic Park alone, and all of a sudden, BBC and everybody is making dinosaur documentaries, and David Attenborough is is talking about dinosaurs, and and you name it. Like even even thanks to Jurassic Park, even the goddamn dinosaurs once came became a gigantic thing. Yeah, and not only the CGI is phenomenal here for its time and still holds up incredibly well thanks to the, the hype brain power of Steven, Steven Spielberg, you could say. But the, not only that, it has real balanced characters, I find. Because the constant issue that I find with the sequels is finding real balanced characters and not the most morally bankrupt versus the kind of the flawless leads. For example, Chris Pratt's character in Jurassic Worlds. Here we have a lot of character building and really quickly, not that all of their character arcs would necessarily lead to anywhere, but there is enough elements going on that it makes the, uh, the viewing experience interesting. There's the Jod Hammond, who is the computer age spirited guy, we can, so we should, and tries to control life. He keeps having this uh, phrase, spared no expense, yet nothing can keep the zoo contained. Quite accurate, in fact. We see this even in the regular zoos. Animals do escape. And spared no expense here later serves as kind of the ironic moment of realization of what he had done wrong. 
Then we have Dr. Malcolm, whose message is essentially about his chaos theory, because he's a chaos theorist. Loves kids, whereas Dr. Grant, not so much, at least in the beginning. And Dr. Malcolm is the kind of opposing force and builds the seed of distrust to this part for the rest of them. He also says that it's kind of the rape of the natural world that they have created these dinosaurs, which might be a bit of a stretch to be fair that the humans have long been raping the natural world. But this chaos theory holds up and Dr. Grant is also reserved towards the part, but more open to the idea than Malcolm initially and hates kids as well as computers. So he's kind of the, the old world. It's kind of stemming from Michael Crichton, obviously, because this film is based on Michael Crichton's books or book. Uh, Michael Crichton agreed that the computers are a two-edged sword since there's a lot of technical possibilities, but then they are kind of making things infinitely more complicated. So we have quite solid characters. We have a solid execution of the practical plus the CGI effects. And we keep things real with this kind of a delicate balance. The original Jurassic Park has only five to six minutes of CGI in total. That's quite impressive and understandable when you see how long it took to render the, those digitized frames back in the day. CGI dinos, they are interacting and affecting the real world, which I find is a huge thing that Spielberg, Spielberg could understand back in the day. Maybe less now when you look at something like Ready Player One, but here it was, for one, it was necessary to do because of the lack of the uh, sophisticated CGI, and also it just makes it more real. And the characters are reacting to dinos, which is important when you have the Stan Winston apparatuses running around. Showing scale is important. Scaling, for example, the jeeps in the same frame with the Tyrannosaurus Rex leaving his cage, her cage, actually. Or whichever get the case it is, actually. <laughs> with this amphibian DNA. There's claustrophobia in all of them. It's working the best in the first two parts. Horror and quite clearly defined areas. We've talked about clearly defined areas in the Halloween franchise, where we found that perhaps it works the best in the first one. Yeah, those are pretty isolated and small areas where we are. It's kind of the same here. You have the roadside. We spend a lot of time there and action happens there. It's not all bombastic and chaotic in, like, say, Fallen Kingdom. Perhaps we can talk about the CGI in the series overall at this point, where Jurassic Park, it's a smart execu execution, as we, as we discussed already, of the practical and CGI. Jurassic Park 3 differs here because from what I can see is that they have used less of the practical equipment or where they have used it. It's not the actual animatronics on the screen. It's something that has been replaced by CGI. The, the dinos in the Jurassic Park 3, they look a little bit too lively. And the environment, I don't know if it's so affected as in the first one. Also, the lighting seems to be a bit poor in a way that 
the dinos don't blend to the environment as well. Maybe they should be kept more in the shadow, as you often do with your antagonist. There's weird colors by the riverside, you see these. I, will, I believe it, they are brachiosauruses. And they have a lot of colors. There, there's a weird replacement of colors in the dinos in this film. Too many colors. The herbivores are the worst looking by the river, I, I have to say. The hair is not moving anymore when the raptor is breathing on your face. Not in the same way. This kind of interaction is missing, I find. Yeah, there, there's a lot of really weird stuff that happens in... Or, or there's a really weird kind of mistakes and attitudes in Jurassic Park 3. Yeah. Uh, Joe Johnston, the director of Jurassic Park 3, he is friends with Steven Spielberg. There was this kind of a... Some kind of a handshake that Spielberg wanted to do the second, but if there would ever be a third one, then Spielberg was okay for Joe Johnston to direct it. For some reason, we have less and less of the practical on screen. When it comes to Jurassic World and the Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, well, worst animation directing in the franchise. It's extremely lively, too lively. It looks like a video game now. The characters are too reactive. The dinosaurs are reacting to every single goddamn thing that the humans do. And the raptors smashing through car windows like nothing. They're too aggressive. We have seen this before, but, but this kind of a... It's insane. It's a video game at this point. And then you look at, for example, the, the air that is flowing in front of the dinosaurs. For example, in the final fight between the genetically modified and the Tyrannosaurus Rex. It seems that the air is kind of hot, there is this kind of air effect. You look at the end credits and there's, what, 10 plus different companies doing the visual effects. Overkill. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. It's, for me, it's really hard to take a stance when it comes to exactly what, what it is that the Jurassic Park sequels do wrong when it comes to the visual presentation. Something that I kind of that that caught my eye, eye. and I I do differ on from your opinion that the characters are too reactive. The dinosaurs, I actually think that they react way too little. They are way too stoic, is especially in Jurassic World films compared to the idea that they are supposed to see these larger-than-life dinosaurs. But something that I did pay attention to is that when it comes to the original and when it comes to the sequels, especially the Jurassic World films, the aspect ratio of, of the image changes. But Jurassic Park, the first one was, if I'm correct, it, it was shot on... Uh, one eight five one, and the Jurassic Worlds look like two thirty five to one, mm. or or cinemascope aspect ratio. And even though I I can kind of understand why why they changed the aspect ratio to to Jurassic World f films, the cinemascope does give you 
it, it does make the tight shots more tighter and it does perhaps give you better lateral movement. But at the same time, it means that you, you lose something like 25% on the vertical space on every single frame, which will limit exactly how much dyno you can actually put into, into a frame of, of a film. And I, I, I would maintain that you actually see, see the damage done in, in the way how Jurassic World movies are being shot. Like there's a hell of a lot of sequences where when it comes to the human characters, all the shots are medium shots at the eye level. And when it comes to the scenes where you are supposed to see the dinosaurs, the dinosaurs are con constantly, or the image is constantly being cluttered by, by well, other crap. In, in the first one, whenever there was supposed to be these eye candy shots of the dinos, the, the image and the background, everything was pretty clean. There, there's an open field, open plain, and you, you have a blue sky and the the dinosaur is against the sky or something other pretty barren and pretty clean environment. But with Jurassic World, you, you can have a have a giant ass dinosaur walking past the, past the image, and at the same image you have a building on the background, and you have a jeep on the front on the front, and you have a whole bunch of people standing next to the jeep in front of the dino. And there's just like like, like this this over excess of visual elements in in a shot that's supposed to be focusing on exactly how big and majestic the dinosaur in the frame is i find that the problem that you describe with a lot of crap in the image is more a stylistic artistic decision and i i could never quite understand what is the big fuss about using 235 shooting jurassic parks because at the end of the day, what you do in the image, it's it's up to your technical choices, what kind of lenses you use or how you frame your image, what do you want to have essentially in your image. For example, Steven Spielberg said about the first one that he wanted to have for one reason 185 aspect ratio so that he could have this iconic brachiosaurus shot when we see it a dinosaur for the first time in the film basically and that it couldn't be accomplished in 235 i don't know you don't really miss a thing you just kind of add more things on the sides but that's just my opinion yeah yeah i, I, I can i can see where you're coming from and Perhaps you are correct. Maybe it's not the aspect ra ratio itself. Maybe it's not even the stylistic choice itself. But something happens because Jurassic World, at least Fallen Kingdom, it tries to copy that Brachiosaurus shot from the first one. Of course, visually wise, there are two different types of shot. But basically, what what the shot is supposed to mean, it's it essentially it's a it's the similar situation in both films, and somehow Fallen Kingdom manages completely fuck it up. Mm hmm. It fucks up a lot of things. It, it does. It does. Let's discuss a bit what connects all of the Jurassic Park movies. Well, there's dinosaurs in them, and they're adventure movies. I could say that, and gargantuan budgets. What else? What connects all the sequels 
well, those are connected by human greed and uh, I would say lazily written characters. Uh, I, I would say that the bigger question that we have to ask is what actually differentiates the Jurassic Park films from each other? Okay. Do you have something ready for that? Yeah, I, I actually do. Go ahead. Fucking nothing. <laughs> really? Like, like, of course, of course, there, there are some, some differences. But the fact is, like, like the brutal fact is that almost every film in the franchise is, is some kind of a remake of a film that came before. As I mentioned, I, I find, and I'm being generous here, I find three different narratives or three different plot lines. Yeah. Truly, in, in, in five films. And when it comes to things like theme or characters or anything that you would think that a movie would like to say, because movies are supposed to be be saying something, they're supposed to be about something or trying to do something. I, I found that, well, essentially Jurassic Park films, they are just recycling themes and concepts from the first film. Every single fucking one of them. That there's always that their life finds a way argument that gets brought in in all of these films. There's always the human creed element. That there's always the we maybe we shouldn't have cloned the dinosaurs that were extinct back to the life. Maybe maybe we shouldn't try to capitalize on on dinos. Maybe we shouldn't go to this island where already several people died. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's 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 to a level where I I would argue that the films even copy their their storylines, their plot structure. Yeah, and uh, on, on they on they were like oh when it's most grievous, it's almost beat for beat carbon copies of a previous films. This is this is my main gripe with the the Lost World films, where Lost World one is at its worst, it's beat for beat, Jurassic Park 1. And Fallen Kingdom, at its worst, is beat for beat, Jurassic Park 2. Uh, yeah, you can definitely see the similarities. There's going to be a stupid-ass rescue mission in the Lost World and Fallen Kingdom. And uh, what the first Jurassic World does is essentially what the first Jurassic Park movie does. Well, now it has an operational park. That's kind of the big difference in a sense. But plot-wise, what do we have? Well, we have people who are placed on the island again because everything should be fine and working. Uh, we have these two kids, which in this film, particularly in Jurassic World, serve no nar narrative purpose, except that kids are kid-friendly, I guess. Yeah, and somebody is supposed to find the, the grand lesson that kids are okay. Oh, and then there is this uh, completely pointless subplot about the parents getting divorced, which has been taken from the uh, Jurassic Park book. It's just basically Lex and Tim all over again. Yeah. Yeah, because the kids have been taken to the island so that they can have a fun little weekend or a few days. And so the parents can concern themselves more about this heavy breaking up. Yeah, and also the whole point of, of there being a child who has two parental figures who has a strained relationship. That's also kind of what 
Jurassic Park 2 is doing mm. with with Ian Malcolm and what was Julianne Moore's character. But but the, the same same dynamic. Mommy and dad are that they they are going through a tight situation in the relationship and there's a kid in the middle. And this reminds me of other kind of weird connections. We already saw in Jurassic Park that Dr. Grant is the person who doesn't particularly like kids in the beginning of the film, but then he has a character arc and then he suddenly loves kids and is ready to make a family, I guess, with uh, Ellie, but then that all is dropped completely in Jurassic Park 3 in a weird plot where Ellie has married, but why? Why? They could have been even together, that could have been even a kind of a stronger connection why they are in the film in the first place. Then there is um, this lucky bag thing. I suppose nothing else than kind of a lazy writing. We have a lucky bag in The Lost World with Julian Moore's character. Then we have a lucky bag with Bill, Jurassic Park 3. Yeah. Mo most previously, as you mentioned, there, there is the like every film on the franchise carries with it the, the whole the idea that the nuclear family is is something wholesome and there's some kind of a glory to the concept of of nuclear family itself outside of Jurassic Park 3 which does have this to a point well at but fuck it Jurassic Park 3 does this also but there, there's this whole notion that that you are somehow broken if you don't want the nuclear family and at least one character has to go through the arc where he or she finds the joyousness of of nuclear family like grant in the original is is really like i don't want to have a kiss and the whole character arc is that grant finds out that kids are pretty okay and maybe I too can have kids and have a nuclear family. Then the the whole main argument between Julian Moore and and Malcolm in in Lost World what centers around parentage and the the, the plotline they they share together essentially is fixated on them renewing the, their concept of nuclear family and coming together once again around their some kind of adopted daughter. The Jurassic Park 3 has once again the quarreling couple who have the rescue mission to find their lost son and in course of that in course of the mission they renew the nuclear family and then both <laughs> lost worlds or Jurassic worlds both of them at the end end up with Chris Pratt and what is the lady kind of a coming together that the lady kind of finds out that in both films that kids are pretty okay and maybe have a nuclear family it's like uh, you 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 just can't have a character in Jurassic Park films who would start and end the film with the idea yeah I don't want to have kids life finds a way you know life finds a way god damn it it was one of us that made the point in the Jurassic Park 1 episode that this has been somehow attributed to the fact that Steven Spielberg is a Jew. I understand that this is very much a Jewish thing to care about family and it seems to, seems to resonate with Spielberg and 
because we seem to time and time again go to these same plot points because of, I suppose, money, then we just keep rehashing this theme. It's, it's also extremely American thing, and that can be overlooked when dealing with, well, what is a major blockbuster Hollywood hmm. product, to say it bluntly. Americans have a really high notion of a certain type of family unit. Man, woman, one or two kids. The, the, the whole whole concept of, of the blasted nuclear family. And no, 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 America isn't the only only country in the world where, you know, family units have a strong bond between each other and where, where you can really care for your kid or your parents. It, it, but America has one type of family and in my opinion, it almost even fetishizes that, that one notion of family and basically everything that goes against it somehow is automatically deemed wrong or incorrect. This is, I, I, I would say this is the main reason why, why I myself have perceived that Americans have such a hard time with, with concepts like si single parenthood, same-sex couples, you not even wanting to have a kid. Like women are often seen somehow mentally broken or something like that if they don't want to have a child. And I, I, I would make the argument that all of this is, is stemming from this some kind of a almost perverse notion that there, there's something grandiose, like larger than life, something almost godlike in the concept of of a nuclear family. Well, I mean, uh, in that case, if the children and the nuclear family, as you put it, is so important to America, maybe they should kind of hurry up with the plot points and update them in a way where gay couples would have more children. I mean, that would be the key, right? It's not nuclear. Hmm. Where is woman in gay marriage? They have already dinosaurs that can change their sex on the fly. I mean, that was back in 1993. Yeah, and that that's as, as far as, you know, presentations of any kind of a theme of a sexual orientation outside of heterosexuality is, is present in Jurassic Park films. Mm. Which is fucking whack when you ask me. Looking for that cloned John Hammond who can have amphibian DNA and change his sex on the fly. And But talking about the science, there's a couple of things that are, you could say, slightly off. We have, we have already talked about the DNA part in a way that, well, bringing back dinosaurs to life like this doesn't seem to exactly work because dinosaurs have been extinct for more or less 65 million years. And the DNA is very volatile and breaks up really easily by nature and is able to, according to some estimates, last for maybe hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years in that kind of a scale. And uh, I don't know if this is a past understanding of T-Rex's vision, as Dr. Alan Grant notes in the first one and in the third one and in the second one by Malcolm pretty much by looking at his behavior, is that the T-Rex vision is based on movement. So 
this doesn't seem to hold water according to the at least the later latest research which says that uh, Tyrannosaurus rexes apparently might have had even up to 13 times better vision than humans whatever that means one thing that has to baffle me plot-wise here is the whole Dr. Wu. So we have this DNA that is blended with the frog DNA, which enables the Tyrannosaurus and other dinosaurs to change sex on the fly. So what kind of a scientist mixes this type of frogs with dinos if you want to keep them female? Like the thought never occurred to them that something like this might happen. Because even one small change in the DNA chain that could bring huge differences. And this brings me to the theory that Dr. Wu is actually a practical joker. Because he, he, he always had planned it so that the dinosaurs would have flaws and ways to find their way out. That's, that's my theory. And he still gets to collect the paycheck and say something like, well, that's what you asked for. He's like the evil genie. The... Real thing with, with when it comes to Jurassic, the science in Jurassic Park is to you are not supposed to think it too much. Oh, <laughs> like you 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 are, you are supposed to kind of have this surface level acceptance. There's science bubble, and you are just supposed to take it and go with it. Like if you really start to dissect how how science and scientific thinking in Jurassic Park films works, you pretty soon find out that. It doesn't work at all. However, if you're going to take into the equation what Dr. Wu does, for example, in Fallen Kingdom, where he has this few minutes of talk with this, is it an investor? And Dr. Wu just says that, well, I did exactly what you asked for, and these are not exactly easy things, blah, blah, blah. And knowing all of that, Dr. Wu creates more dinosaurs, this time specifically definitely genetically modified for the park's needs and does the same shit show all over again and dinos break out it's it's not my fault it's your fault you asked for it the thing with with you know the thing with character motivations in jurassic park th films is that you're not supposed to think them too much you're kind of supposed to have this surface level acceptance where they present to you a character motivation and you just take it and go with it I'm just saying that since I'm a film podcaster and I dive deep every once in a while, this doesn't hold much water. God, God, God damn it, God damn it. When it comes to science, do you want to hear something really funny? Yeah. When it comes to the scientific accuracies in Jurassic Park, the first one, that there's a whole whole notion how how they they get the DNA from the mosquito. That's the whole linchpin of how they make the dinosaurs. Well, according to the latest science, the type of mosquito that they use in the film is the only species of mosquitoes that does not does not suck blood. <laughs> that that's that that's where we are in the science department. And when it, when it comes to the character motivations. It comes to character motivations. Uh, Jurassic World One introduces us the the investor who has put like like hundreds of billions or and trillions of dollars to make a Jurassic Park theme park finally operate, and who has like hyper expensive clothing programs where they design new dinosaurs. And that person does not know what type of dinosaurs are being de designed 
on his dime. He's completely oblivious when it comes to what exactly is Indominus Rex. Well, so that that that's that's the character motivations. None of it works. None of it makes any sense. A lot of things don't make sense in Jurassic World sequels, especially the Indominus Rex, which is the centerpiece of Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom. I would say. For sure, for the first Jurassic World. The absolute pointlessness of the Indominus Rex. First of all, I do not understand in any way the fascination with bringing and creating in a lab some Tyrannosauruses or dinosaurs. That The fascination with Jurassic Park from the day one for me has been that they are making dinos as realistic or as similar to the original counterpart as possible. That's the wow factor here. So how exactly do you wow the audience by creating a dinosaur that never even existed? I truly don't get it. Like, I never cared at all for these genetically invented dino species. I, I, I can't fathom why anyone else would either, why they use them as the center. It's already bad enough that they have flaws in the original animals due to the DNA gaps. So it's like, ah, oh, well, Velociraptor is not exactly a Velociraptor, but that's because they used a different dino as a model in the first one, and then they kind of kind of stuck with it. Like, these are too big, and these are not Velociraptors, but let's call them Velociraptors. Do you want to know what that is? Yes, please. Or, or uh, this is at least my theory. It's because... And this is once again coming back to the whole point how how every film just rehashes stuff from the from the first and second film. The thing with Jurassic Park, well, the whole concept, the whole franchise is that there really is not that much stuff in Jurassic Park that you can do or you can utilize. Jurassic Park, on a surface level, it it sounds like really magical concept where there's all these possibilities like endless opportunities to do do sequels and franchises and kids cartoon shows yeah. and you you name it you name it yeah. but in the end there really is not like, like the concept of jurassic park holds together for one film there's enough material for one grandiose movie but there's not enough like stuff well i don't not, not in the basic concept for for a franchise I don't even know, you know, what fascinates me to no end is that basically all of these films are the, are the same film and in my opinion there could be a lot of things that you could do with the dinosaurs. What what really fascin fascinates me further is that now that we're getting to Jurassic World Dominion, the third part in the Jurassic World franchise or series and the sixth film in the overall franchise, is that it's only now that they have figured that well, let's bring the dinosaurs to the mainland. I mean, th this is something that I was thinking that they could go with already, like, second part, which they did, but then they take all of the samples back, or the assets, as they love to say. But in part three, you could have already done that, but you keep you, you keep taking people onto this island. Why? And, and because, because, you know, that's one of the founding ideas of, of Jurassic Park. 
I mean, fucking, fucking Dominion either. If it's anything like Battle at the Big Rock, it, the Dominion either isn't doing anything new or special. N not really when you when you look at it. The, the whole idea behind, like, like the rehashed idea behind every single Jurassic Park film is that there is a place, closed off place, controlled, limited environment where there's dinos and people go to dino place and as much a fluff as, as Dominion wants to make about how the dinos now are on the mainland. And I fucking call this one when, when the origins of Jurassic Fallen Kingdom, the ending of Fallen Kingdom, and I saw that the dinos are getting onto the mainland. But I, I made, made a guess that what, what ends up happening is that the dinos take over a national park or some shots, which once again is a specific closed off foresty location where people have to go. Mm. People go to national parks. It's Do Dominion's basic idea. If if it's it is anything like Battle at Big Rock, which also takes place on a goddamn national park. It's nothing new. It's not, not nothing exceptional. It's once again it's it's the same fucking shit. Once again, there's a there's a limited close of foresty space where the dinos are and people have to go to dino place for the adventure to happen. Yeah. It's like like the franchise, it just can't reinnovate. You also see this in in the the antagonist dinosaurs. Can, can you name how many different types of dinosaurs there are as bad guys in five films? Ugh. Well, two. there's what two, yeah. Two. You have T-Rex and you have Velociraptor. And this Indominus nonsense. Indominus is essentially T-Rex. No. There's some, 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 you know, fluff about genetic makeup. Like yeah. it, it talks Raptor and it, it can turn invisible or some shit like that. <sighs> but but it, it's a T-Rex. Visually, it's a T-Rex. On behavior-wise, it's T-Rex. The the yeah, fin yeah. the back fin dinosaur in in the crocodile looking motherfucker in in Jurassic Park three T Rex the yeah. the Indoraptor that that's a Velociraptor with a teeth job a big big bigger and different types of teeth but it's a Velociraptor there really isn't like it's the the franchise is also rehashing its dinosaurs. You you get you have like like a handful of different dinosaurs and they could just keep being brought back time after time after time again. Yeah, and when it comes to repetition in the franchise, they're repeating a, a lot of things. But one of the things that they do not necessarily do since part three is to bring T Rex to the place of the actual bad dinosaur, the antagonist dinosaur. Why why do you have to replace it time and time again with less interesting dinosaurs? In Jurassic Park 3, T-Rex is taken as some kind of a side character like hello, I'm here to have a small battle and then fuck off for the rest of the movie. Jurassic World, you have to have something genetic made in the lab and no one cares. The well this was again, this 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 goes into copying the theme. Yeah, but, but of the first film, I, I I would like to point out something that Chris Pratt says more or less in Jurassic World. Something refer referencing 
the fact that who's gonna care about this new dinosaur? Like, yeah, exactly. Just stick to the T-Rex. Well, but the films are actually sticking to the T-Rex. They are sticking to the main idea of the T-Rex. In the first film, that the T-Rex originally starts as an as an antagonist of the film. He, he it's a T-Rex tries to eat eat the kitties because it's a dumb animal and and figures out that that something like 12 year old really is, is enough food or some shit but but anyways anyways t-rex bad uh originally in the first one but in terms of the film that the whole t-rex well first of all it it gets fuck off from the film the velociraptors actually are more of the the bad guys or the antagonists of of the original and then on the final moment t-rex comes back uh, this time as some sort of a, a karmatic avenger or or justicar uh, as a some form of an entity of a justice happening karmatic justice like t-rex in the end appears at the end of the film to quote-unquote punish the bad ones the first film famously ends with, with with the moment when the main heroes have been trying to escape from Velociraptors for God knows how long, and the Velociraptors finally get the heroes co cornered. Velociraptors are the bad guys, and at this at the final moment, T Rex breaks into the scene and starts a fight with the Velociraptors. There's this. Yeah. There's the the concept of vengeance. The T Rex comes in and punishes the bad Velociraptors and allows the heroes to escape. This actually happens in more or less in every film. In in Jurassic Park two, T Rex appears there to at the end to to punish the the evil corporate. The, the main leader of of the engine or, or the the main main henchman of the in, engine's board of directors whose fault the entire mess is mm -hmm. uh, then in in Jurassic world uh t-rex is mostly all off off scene but at the end of the film he appears to avenge or punish the indominus rex who is the main bad guy of the film. In, in Fallen Kingdom, T-Rex once again mostly is absent, and in the final moments he avenges to the slimy businessman who hides underneath the car. Like, like you have the avenging or the punishing T-Rex. And that's that's essentially what, what, what he does. Or she does, because it's the goddamn same T-Rex from the first film. That, yeah. that, that the franchise is is unwilling to even bring you a new T-Rex. The franchise is kind of half trying to move on, and at the same time, when it comes to the end conclusion, let's just bring back T-Rex to sort it out for you. So essentially, yeah. it's not the movie of Indominus Rex. What it does at the end is succumbing to nostalgia for reasons, and then it kind of uh, makes it even more lame. And it, and its character assassinates T-Rex because in the in the Jurassic Park three, there's the battle uh, against this 
bad dinosaur that is in the lead. Now it seems that the mighty Tyrannosaurus is no longer so mighty, and it seems that some other dinosaur is able to take him down. I don't know why even to do that. Just, of course, to show that, yeah, this dinosaur is more dangerous. But do we care, really? Mm, not, not really. No, because at that point you already know exactly how the formula of, of a Jurassic Park film is gonna work out. It, it's a whole bunch of, of yelling and screaming and running away from dinos and then somehow the heroes manage to escape. Yeah, Perhaps yeah. somebody gets eaten, but everybody always manages to... Or, or the surviving characters, the main heroes always manage to run from point A to point B, and point B is a safe place. Yeah, this particular devaluation of T-Rex's character that I wanted to point out is in Jurassic World, when the kids enter the park and they go on their tour, and we have a scene where where the brothers are just bobbing about, and one is looking at his cell phone, and the other one is trying eagerly to look at the T-Rex biting into some animal once again. Is it one of those? What do you call them? It's, it's a goat or something like Yeah, one of those goats, probably. And the crowd is cheering. We barely see the T-Rex. And it's just become some kind of a everyday mundane thing that here is T-Rex and not wanting to particularly hide T-Rex apart from the crowd being in front of the T-Rex, but it's just one attraction of many type of thing now. Well, but, but in, in these films, T-Rex is kind of an attraction. Like, it, it was, T-Rex was already an attraction in, in the first one. It was supposed to be kind of the, the main big badass dinosaur. It was. When, when people, yeah, it was, it was. When people talk about talk about the dinosaurs in, in, in the original, they always talked about T-Rex. So T-Rex very much was an attraction in the first one. It, it, it became an attraction through the, the way how people talked about the film, but it was also meant to be an attraction. It was also very much meant to be an attraction in, in the second one, where once again, yeah, the film builds expectation for the audience has to wait exactly when when the T-Rex is is showing up. It, it the second one hypes up the moment for, for the T-Rex to finally show up in in the film. And it is also an attraction in the literal sense because T-Rex is the dinosaur that the the slimy businessman decides to bring back to the mainland as the only dinosaur that he captures from from the quote unquote lost world in 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 the third one t-rex works as an a attraction and uh, this is this is perhaps the one that downplays the whole attraction factor the most but it 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 still works at at least as a half attraction because there t-rex is supposed to to show up as the first to to hype up the the new bad dino to show exactly how dangerous the the new the the fin di crocodile dinosaur is, and then in in Lost World films, uh, T Rex is is built up as an 
well, nostalgic attraction to, to the audiences. Yeah. But like the whole point of, of showing you the T-Rex in, in lost world films is to is to get the audiences go, hey, hey, it, it's it's the T-Rex from the original. I remember that dinosaur. That that's why it's so important that in Lost World films, uh, the T-Rex always is the is the one from the first film. That's why it's so important that you always notice the scars that the the T-Rex gets in in the first Jurassic Park when he's dueling with the uh, Velociraptors. That's why both Jurassic World movies make damn sure that at the end of the film, T-Rex makes the T-Rex pose from the first Jurassic Park. It's 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 an attraction. It's an attraction meant to, you know, make the audience connect with the Jurassic World films through nostalgia. And it's it's funny as fuck that the Jurassic World films are so eager to play the play with the nostalgia factor because at the same time uh, the films especially the first Jurassic World it it, it had this weird dynamic where it it wants you it wants the audiences to, to connect with it through nostalgia and at the same time it's it's kind of a shaming the audiences for the no nostalgia that it wants it wants them to feel like like the you asked why why Jurassic World feels that it has to to do the whole clone dinosaur thing, and if if you take the answer of 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 the first Jurassic World film, that is because as as the film says bluntly, the audiences are, have become jaded with just dinosaur. They want something new, bigger, meaner, as as woo says it audiences want more teeth and i don't well 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 surprise surprise that the the message that or the meta narrative of the jurassic world is supposed to be that you are the audience you are the one who no longer is satisfied simply by seeing dinosaurs you Kari, you are the one who demands new, bigger and meaner dinosaurs. Why isn't T-Rex enough for you, Kari? The film asks. And then in the, in the final climax, it, it, it tries to hammer home how, how wrong you have been when you have been demanding new, bigger, meaner, more teeth dinosaurs. Because the, the, thematically, the end climax of Jurassic World 1 is essentially, quote-unquote, authentic versus, quote-unquote, manufactured. Where yeah. the, the originals eventually beat the shit out of Dom, Indominus Rex. Like, like when, when you look at the meta-narrative aspect of the film, it, it almost comes off as a, as a plot point where you are you are being shown you are, you are being told to fuck off because you dared because you demanded you carry you demanded Indominus Rex and you shouldn't have nope. done that because the original is always better than that the new hype machine that you wanted so fuck you that's essentially what the film ends up saying yeah Chris Pratt already said that or put it into question that do we really need to 
see these modified creatures uh, isn't isn't it enough isn't people aren't people here to see see the actual dinosaurs i was but nostalgia wins yes we have it in the music as well we have the of course the jurassic park theme still we don't actually really have it much in fallen kingdom we have it still here i look at the comments that people make on the soundtrack which is actually pretty good in the Jurassic Park, Michael Giacchino did it. And he did also the soundtrack to the Lost World video game, if somebody remembers that. So there's one little tiny cue from that Lost World soundtrack that he did. But yeah, it recycles the Jurassic Park main theme. And people seem to be in tears and commenting, Oh yes, 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 nostalgia, nostalgia. Here it hits. Yeah, it does. But you know what? Jurassic World already has a pretty good theme jingle or theme sound of its own. I quite like that theme that he came up with with the film. When the Jurassic Park theme is used in Jurassic World, it's kind of a weird moment where the kid goes to the hotel room's balcony. I don't want to wait anymore. And he opens the balcony room and then we see the whole Jurassic World in its glory. So here here the Jurassic Park theme is being shown connected to the, the finished park, which is kind of a eh, reaction when you see that with the with the theme music. Because it was before connected with the dinos. Now it's just some industrial design that you're looking at. You know, I could change gears a bit and jump into discussing Jurassic Park 3, because there is not too much to talk about it, is there? This is the, the, the part in the franchise that maybe the most is stuck with the past. And something interesting is that it doesn't carry on the overall franchise story one single iota. It doesn't do anything with the future of the franchise. It's just kind of repeating the past of the franchise. It's essentially a rescue mission, a separate rescue mission in the franchise on this Isla Sorna Island, uh, and that's it. Well, it it does and it does not. It tries to continue from the first one, in uh, in in form of of one of one of the new themes that these sequels actually managed to to dig up. It's it's really quickly over and really small, but it's it's one of the themes that I really liked. In, in the sequels. And that is the, the fact that Grant and Ellie did not get together. But their relationship stayed as professional and academic. And also the fact that Grant is, is kind of an old world relic. Something that is, is, as he says it, the last of his kind. Or as Ellie's kid says it. The dinosaur man, and I I really liked that one. I, that that is kind of the part that continues from the first film, and it it this is this is once again something where where the where the franchise always fucks it up. It it tries to pave a way for the franchise for the next film to go someplace different. The film ends. With uh, one of the final shots being the Pteranodon. Pteranodon. 
Yeah, yeah, like like you said it. <laughs> my 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 tongue does not twist enough to for for all these sentences. But with them flying away from the island, towards to what? Well, judging from the direction the Grant's helicopter is going to the mainland, so uh, there you have the attempt. To, to take some dinosaurs to a next location, bring them to mainland, having the opportunity for the next film to, to do something with the concept of dinosaurs in the mainland. And they never utilized that. They never utilized that. But then again, bless their heart, that's kind of something that every single one of the sequels tries to do. Uh, Jurassic Park 2 does this, the T-Rex comes to the mainland, it gets shipped back, and everybody apparently forgets about it. The Jurassic World 1, once again, has the the flying ones, which you can pronounce and I don't. Well, yeah, don't get to the mainland, then... Fallen Kingdom finally gets them to the mainland for the second time. This time also sets them free. And if Battle of a Battle at the Big Rock is anything to go by, does nothing with them once again. The, the franchise always always does this this thing where it it takes the dinosaurs at the very end, brings them to mainland or raises up the possibility that they might now reach the mainland and then quickly forgets it in the in the beginning of the next film and returns back to the status quo which is dinosaurs in in kind of an individual cut off foresty place where people have to go yes this is an unusual ending in Jurassic Park 3 for a couple of reasons one reason being the fact that they actually were meant to do that back in the original fil- film. They were meant to see pteranodons flying away from the island and Dr. Grant and the rest looking back at it smiling, I guess, because that's what the uh, end cut is. But the pteranodon is replaced by a normal bird, which is a much better solution, in my opinion. Like There would be nothing to smile about if the pteranodons would be leaving the island. So now this is rehashed in Jurassic Park 3. Why? I don't know. Why never utilize it? I don't know. But there is this connection and why are they smiling? <laughs> Happy times. And why only now? This is kind of saying that, okay, it's only now that the Pteranodons are leaving the territory. Perhaps they had like, what, seven years, eight years to do that. When it comes to the romantic department that you touched upon it's sometimes quite questionable like okay we don't get dr grant and ellie sattler together fine and as you said this these scenes with the little boy work really well and they create really authentic kind of dr grant moments when he's trying to explain to the boy that no no these these are actually two herbivores they wouldn't fight against one another (laughs) maybe a little bit stupid but for example, in Jurassic Park 3, you have this couple who wants to get their kid back from the island. And the woman is already remarried, right? Or is in a new relationship. 
and then now they start to have like some feelings towards one another again this original couple on the island in this really ham-fisted ways and i'm not sure if the audience is really interested in that anyhow as they are kind of this really caricaturic and extremely stupid characters then we have this Ellie Sattler, Dr. Grant tension, because there certainly is something kind of, a, I would say, kind of a romantic tension going on when he, Dr. Grant gets into his car. And, well, by the way, one more thing. Okay, one more thing. Okay, now I'm going. Bye, bye. It's kind of elongated shots back to back. Then there is, of course, this something that is not related to marriage or, or making it kind of awkward for the audience. There is this Mrs or Miss Heels, as, as I call, call her, in the Jurassic World series. And then the Mr. Handman, Chris Pratt's character. These and their adventures. Apparently it's suggested that they had previous encounter sexually. I don't know if we're that interested in. And then again, they do the same damn thing in Fallen Kingdom. They have broken up and then they kind of reminisce and then they get back, back together again. Lazy writing. It is, but as as mentioned, that that kind of is Jurassic Park. Like, like somehow, I I'm not entirely certain why this is, but somehow, the every single entry in the franchise chickens out when they are supposed to they take it properly into a new direction. Every single time, they always, every one of these sequels wants to return back to the original status quo, where uh, characters who were not together at the beginning of the previous film are not together now either. They, they always break up behind the scenes, the dinosaurs never get into any kind of a properly new place. And as mentioned, even even the, the whole basic structure of the narrative where it's just, you know, run from point A to point B. Like there, there's something in in the main concept of Jurassic Park. And I, I would say this is this most likely is the problem of the main concept of Jurassic Park. Exactly how the story worked in the first film. Yeah, that it's, it's, you, it, you just, yeah. like, you can't do anything drastically new. And why would you? It seems to be making a fortune for them. Well, let's, let, let's say Lost World and Jurassic Park 3. They weren't the same cash cows as the first one, obviously. But Jurassic World somehow succeeded in being, well... Quite close to the original in the amount of money that it garnered. Of course, inflation not taken into account, but still, it was a huge, massive hit. These movies try to be quite modern. In the Lost World, you have this black kid, uh, certainly adopted, but not discussed in any way in the film, as far as I remember. Uh, it, it, it's the kid of this Julianne Moore, and the, or it was before that, I don't know. It, it it's somebody's kid. I never figured out whose and from what relationship. Yeah, but she's there, and uh, she is in fact a woman or a girl, and is able to kick the velociraptor's butt. In in one of the most stupidest scenes I've seen in a Jurassic Park film, which even Jeff Goldblum is not able to say with his joke. Mm-hmm. And by God, if, if Jeff Goldblum doesn't try to somehow carry 
Well, as what once we reach fall, the end of Fallen Kingdom, basically the entire franchise on his shoulders. Yeah, oh boy, the the trailer was all over Jeff Goldblum in the Fallen Kingdom trailer, and it was so overblown that okay, we have Jeff Goldblum back, and back, and what what does he do? He just sits for a couple of minutes in the courtroom. That's all you get. Yeah, in in scenes which I take. Jeff Goldblum, you know, appear for exactly for one day, because that's the vibe I get from Jeff here. Yeah, there to collect the paycheck, I would say. And pretty much, but then again, what else could he do? That the script, once again, it doesn't know exa- how to utilize Jeff Goldblum or what even do with him. Yeah, yes, this it, is yes, it does. It uh, yes, it does. Fallen Kingdom is using Jeff Goldblum to. Once again, make him say the legendary line of life, 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 life finds find, a way. Life find, finds a way. Then again, then again, this is something that's actually quite strange for me, at, at least in, in Fallen Kingdom. To me, Jeff Goldblum appears to be some type of at, attempt to, to bring back not John Hammond. Which the film also already is doing with, with by introducing a new character who is not John Hammond. This one being John Hammond's original business partner, who was never mentioned in Jurassic Park lore um, up until this point, but who very obviously is supposed to be some kind of an insert, John Hammond. Yeah. Up until up to the point where he too has has a walking stick with a with a fucking fossilized mosquito inside of an ember. The discount John Hammond, as someone said. The, the, yeah, it's really really hard to understand why Fallen Kingdom wants to hammer a lot of backstory home in a way that you know nobody would have known that or or that it would in any way actually be useful information in Fallen Kingdom, but there was this line, that's John Hammond, but you already knew that. Yeah, of course Heels knew that. She was working for the company that he created a long time ago. Like It's it's just forced, forced backstory telling in these ham-fisted ways. But it's the 13th highest grossing film of all time, so what do you know? Well, there is one kind of a fresh idea in Jurassic World, the completely brain-dead idea of using the dinos as military weapons. How does that work? Velociraptors as a government weapon for hire? Jesus, why not use bears, lions, in fact, now? You know, that's right, because they're not practical. What are you going to do that? Unless it's going to be something really specific, like attacking a building for a moment and eating the occupants, I guess, including the people who handle them? Um, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, the main idea presented there does does not work. And by God, if, if the Lost World films don't try to convince you otherwise, that they make a huge fuss about exactly how effective... Well, essentially, reptilian brain-controlled animals would be in in combat situations. That they are the the throwback line to to Torapora, 
the, the second one, Fallen Kingdom, it, it goes out of its way to convince you that that you know dinosaurs would work in in military sense, where it, where it mentions that people have been using animals in in warfare all the time through course of of the history, like there, there's the lions and the, the diseased rats and and the elephants. But basically, what what's what's funny about that is it's that the reason why why we have used animals in warfare in in the past times is because they have been convenient and we haven't had any other forms to do the job better. Like elephants was were used as a, as a form of transport because we didn't mm. have cars or, nor mm. tanks. Like it's a, it's a giant ass animal that can carry a huge load. Of course, you know it it makes sense that you might use it to to as a form of travel if you don't have cars or if you if you don't have any kind of automobile. But it it makes no goddamn sense in in these days. And and to stick with that, it, it also makes makes the whole point. This is an actual plot point in in the goddamn Fallen Kingdom where where the Indoraptor works through some kind of a uh, specialized or modified gun, like you, you point the point the lo, the targeting laser at at the target, and then you press a button which sends the audio signal to Indoraptor, which makes it attack. Yeah, which make and, which, which make it so makes it so that whoever is making the signal will eat the person who sent the signal, dumbass. Yeah, yeah, and which also kind of raises the question if if. If the whole mechanic is that you have to point the laser at the target right. and press a button, why why not just add bullets? Right. And and have God <laughs> like. <laughs> and once again, who wants to see these kind of dinosaurs, who are kind of controlled by their human counterparts to a degree, and and mm. and not natural. <laughs> well, this and bulletproof. <laughs> Well, the, the the thing here, what, what I suspect, how we ended up in this particular mess is, is that this is, a, once again, something that was toyed around in the franchise previously, and which, if, if utilized, could have been perhaps, maybe, interesting, and take the franchise to a new direction in the in the previous concepts where the story could have go uh, after the first film there, there was this notion about using militarized human dinosaur hybrids like, you, you were supposed to have this this half human half dinos with machine guns and and stuff like that like that was the way how Originally, it was concepted that that the whole military complex and its interest on on the the dinosaur DNA technology could be utilized in the franchise. I I don't know would it have worked, but it at least it would have been a, a new direction. And I, I don't know, maybe it 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 could have been good. Hard to say. It it never advanced beyond original concept art but but that was that was an idea that was being toyed around 
none of the films were brave enough to tackle that plot point. So <clears throat> now with Jurassic World, you you come into this lukewarm moment where they they kinda they kinda wanna bring bring that plot point. You have the military complex. There is the the secret branch of Ingen who who tries to militarize the dinosaurs, but it just doesn't have the courage to go to the full human dinosaur hybrid. You just have weaponized dinosaurs and dinosaur dinosaur hybrids, and. That's the, the the end result is is well it, it would be more effective just use tanks and you know use guns. Yeah. Dumb animals don't work. There's no stra- any kind of a strategic you know benefit in in using dinosaurs. No matter how much the film tries to justify this to you by making repeated notions how. Well, in reality, the dinosaurs are like the second smartest things on the planet, or this Velociraptor Blue can can play six-dimensional chess games, and and the Indoraptor has shown shown really complex mathematics skills and is almost nuclear physicist. <sighs> yeah, they they. I want some of that psilocybin that the screenwriters must be using i would quote one guy from letterboxd matt singer who said quote the only characters who behave rationally in fact are the dinosaurs at one point someone refers to blue as the second smartest animal on earth and based on the evidence in this film i think it's time for a recount mm-hmm. but that that's kind of a once again, it, it ties around to another big problem that the films, especially especially the the Jurassic World parts, have, which is this the really twisted and weird notion that we humans we always have to humanize the animals, because that's what goes on with the Velociraptors in in Jurassic World. To yeah. an extent, this already happens in in. Jurassic Park 2, where, where they have the baby T-Rex and the, and the parents are really like worried about what happened to their kin. That, of course, that really does happen in the animal world, but the way how the film like visually frames that the whole, whole parent-baby relationship with the T-Rexes, it's, uh, to me, it reads like the film wants to humanize the T-Rex. But that's that's a mi- minor, that's a minor crap. It's it's not a huge deal. But God, by God, if if the Jurassic World movies don't go all in into this idea that we have to humanize the 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 dinosaurs to a, to a point where well blue and other velociraptors they they have the the back loyalty and they have some kind of a I don't know if, if it's some kind of a macho dick lost towards Chris Pratt, Pratt's character. And where, once again, the dinosaurs appear to have some kind of a... It's not established that they have, but the way how they act as, as quote-unquote good guys, some kind of a sense of justice 
built into them. And Fallen Kingdom go goes over its way to actually humanize the Velociraptors by, by making the point how, how especially Blue has extremely strong moral compass and has been able to, to, to kind of have a sense of empathy. And there's there's almost this this kind of a like I don't know if it's if it's supposed to be love between Blue and Chris Pratt or of it's some kind of a battle brother camaraderie that they are supposed supposed to share. But but by for fuck's sake, if there is not some law gazes between the two, especially at the end of Fallen Kingdom. Yeah, there were especially loving gazes at the moment when the black trainee falls into the velociraptor gates and then chris pratt has to save his butt and almost eat chris pratt but then then after that moment it's back to riding the motorcycle heroically with the velociraptors on the on the sides which is the poster of the first jurassic world ladies and gentlemen perhaps the dumbest moment of the film well, it, it, it it's a dumbass bricks, but it did look cool. <laughs> it's just, but that 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 moment is is one one of the few things I I I like in 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 the, in the first Jurassic World. It's it's not smart and it doesn't really work, but it looks cool. Which and is that, also the point something. in the film where the kids and kind of everybody else have decided that Chris Pratt is the master of the show here and. Let's just all follow follow Chris Pratt and everything will be just fine. It's called the Chris Pratt cult, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's really obnoxious. Yeah, no. When it comes to this humanizing of the animals, particularly maybe velociraptors here, or maybe you could even call it maybe something that suggests a little bit step further, anthropomorphizing the animals. As a kid, I kept wondering why a dino story has to be tied with storylines of creeds and parks and humans, actually. That the dinos are already interesting enough for a kid anyway. So for a long time, I, I felt that the uh, humans were kind of a nuisance. I didn't feel empathy towards the humans in these movies. I just wanted more dinosaurs. And we came to see dinosaurs, not humans. It, it is it is silly it's especially silly in, in fallen kingdom it's also I, I would argue even bit dangerous especially in fallen kingdom's universe because at, at the end of the film what one of the the only re real attempts to have any kind of an argument to have any kind of a discussion and that's the moment when there was that that gas leak at the at the basement of the Lockwood Manor. The, the, the bad guys have caged up a, a whole bunch of dinosaurs, and a gas leak breaks out, and there is a the risk that the dinosaurs will suffocate as a result. And well, well, first of all, once again, that the humanizing <clears throat> attempt comes full front here when when you are. When the film tries to to really manipulate tears and worry out of out of the audience by showing you animals dying, and there are these these kind of a like 
like this music swells and there are these these shots at the baby dinosaurs as they they scream and you're really supposed to feel it and that that first of all that's that's manipulative and that's somewhat stupid but what's definitely stupid and in films universe pretty damn dangerous is the moment when Lockwood's brain dead fucking cloned kid decides to break the dinosaurs outside of the cages and open open the last door open open the basement door so that they can all escape all dinosaurs can escape outside because quote unquote they are alive just like me except and, missing giant pointed teeth and bulletproof skin for once yeah yeah and 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 escaping the the fact that you just fucking released T-Rexes and Velociraptors into human populace. And you just like, couldn't push the magic button and kind of push it push it again and just keep the animals there still suffocating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I, 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 can, I can somehow, I, I can understand the argument, you know, let them live, set them free with, with something like a carnivore. That, that might only only harm the ecosystem i think but, this is some, some but, kind of a major plot point with the british accent here like the like the film points out that we are not wild animals here you can't pr pronounce it bath you have to say bath and i guess it's the power of the british accent that they are just completely they they freeze in animation all the adults when he says that they're alive like me yeah there's something <laughs> Chris Pratt should have actually shot the kid at that point, <laughs> because because now 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 you now you have now you have like like families well, living the... living in areas where someday velociraptors will will roam. That's okay. I I can just expect you know wait wait the days when it turns out that Blue is munching on six year olds. I would have loved to see what Doctor Malcolm would have had to say about this. They're alive like me. Well, in fact, to paraphrase Dr. Malcolm here, like that is one big pile of shit writing right there. Yeah. And uh, interesting uh, ideas about that the assets, as they say, these assets, these created animals, they don't have rights. We own them. Quoting, what about man creating man or a girl? Well, if, if Blade Runner is anything to go by... You own that too. No matter mm -hmm. does it have a conscious, does it have self-awareness? As long as you create it, it's yours. We already got to human cloning, and somehow John Hammond was pretty hush hush about that in the previous films. That's a that's a big jump. Did you see that this this obviously evil, super evil businessman who is selling the dinosaurs has this kind of a Trump hair? Also, extremely embarrassingly big teeth prosthesis on on the dude who is leading the auction. Toby Jones, who who plays the the auction leader, he physically is is the Trump guy. Sorry for Toby Jones if that's your actual hair, but well, at, at least it's not Toby Jones's actual teeth. I, I don't know what, what the, you know, what the prosthetics guys were, or, or the prop department was thinking when they made that decision. Now, what's the dumbest moments 
from these films. I would definitely have to say Fallen Kingdom, we already mentioned this this clone girl's decision to release the animals. In The Lost World, maybe the biggest issue is that it's just very dead inside sometimes. It kind of drags on and has not a hell of a lot to, to do there. And at one point they're just trying to escape from the island and that's all the blood you get. They're just trying trying to reach the shore, which takes ages, of course, because there's a lot of dino munching to do. And then, of course, they take the T-Rex to the mainland, which kind of drags on. But it's cool to see. Which includes maybe the, the kind of most interesting scene, or maybe second most interesting scene of the film, where the T-Rex goes into this family's yard and... This little, little kid sees the T-Rex in the window and goes to report this uh, incident to mommy and daddy. Completely unnecessary and really long scene, but I kind of love that. Kind of Spielberg doing his King Kong film here. Jurassic Park 3, just that it's kind of sitting idle and doing nothing as far as I'm concerned. And they, this couple characters are quite weakly written. We mainly care about... Dr. Grant's character, right? And even Dr. Grant doesn't have a, a hell of a lot to do here. Just being Dr. Grant. Jurassic World, Indominus Rex, I suppose. Well, if if you are asking for me, I, I would say that there's one really stupid choice that basically all the sequels make. Perhaps also the first one, but if we would get, get the film some slack, most definitely sequels. And that is basically all the lip service that the sequels want to, wants to play towards John Hammond, mm-hmm. who repeatedly gets painted up as, as this huge humanitarian or animal rights activist or, you know, you name it. The, the good guy who always is brought back when somebody wants to make the argument in these films how there was a noble attempt at the beginning or how there were noble values presented by someone who tied to the Jurassic Park, the theme park concept. And that's, that's like, to be absolutely honest, John Hammond in the first one, he was like the deftest asshole imaginable. Well, he's a character who very much loves dinos. And, and even when they're in the, dinner table and nobody's eating anything but they're in the, at the dinner table and John Hammond seems to be sarcastic when he makes the notion or seems to agree with the lawyer that yeah yeah we can we can have the rich kids out here but we can have some discount days so we can get some other normal people also on the island I'm not sure if John Hammond is really he just wants his vision to actualize in the book, he may be a little bit more malevolent. Uh, he may be more malevolent in, in the books, but by no means, John Hammond is, is not the good guy or the hero of the first film. Well, he's, he's definitely he's... not the good guy in the second one when he's making all new one mistakes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like he just becomes more and more insidious as as the films, uh, as the franchise progresses, but in the end, essentially, it's it's John Hammond's like 
pain-numbingly stupid decisions that caused the whole whole Jurassic Park incident in the first place. May I remind our listeners once again, one of the main reasons being that Nedry is the only one responsible for the security and the tech at the island. Yeah, yeah. At at the same time, Nedry also is is a character who's who John Hammond is not paying the top dollar, seeing how Nedry is actually is asking for more money. Nedry makes a direct point that John Hammond can't find another tech specialist to run the entire IT security, the entire security system of the park for as little money as John Hammond is willing to pay. And when Nedry points this out, this small fact that John Hammond essentially is overpaying his security, the IT department, John Hammond just kind of verbally abuses Nedry. Uh, like I, I get it in 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 the film in the film that the film makes kind of the point that Nedry is is the bad guy. Nedry tries to steal the embryos from John Hammond in order to do this. He temporarily turns off the the security features in the park, and that's what leads into the incident. And in the Jurassic Park book also, it, it says that Nedry and Hammond had some kind of a legal battle. So you'd, you'd think that John Hammond would care more about his employees at that point. Yeah, yeah, you would, you would. But, but no, no. Even, even though, even though John Hammond makes the, the argument and the, the sequels also bring this point up, that John Hammond spared no expense. No, no. That that that's like the John John the mo- like if if you would have to to like like single out one characteristics of of John Hammond based on the dialogue of the man, he's the he's the guy who spared no expense. Except he really did spare fucking expense. A hell of a lot of it went came to the se- security of of his park. He he essentially. The, the man spared no expense when it came to, you know, getting 50 different flavors of ice cream into your fucking ice cream buffet. But when it came to the actual security features within the park, when it came to, to staff, when it came to having enough people to keep your guests safe from flesh-eating dinosaurs, well, that's where he spared expense. Shit ton of them. Everybody was underpaid. And of course, the fact that he wanted to automate as much of the park as possible that can be seen as sparing expense eventually mm-hmm. with all those fancy CD-ROM technologies in the car and what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. It's it gets it. It's really really goddamn weird seeing how how from from. First from Steven Spielberg, and then from Trevor comes bunch of films, which essentially argues, I I would say, for communism or at least for proletariat, against the, the oppressive and careless capitalistic overlords. Because I I mean, this is something where where you kind of have to look look at. How how the characters are being framed visually 
and also what happens in the dialogue department. Because when it comes to Jurassic Park films, including the Jurassic Worlds, because somehow how they, they, they all copy the, copy the same notion, that the same visual styles, but the main heroes, this being, being your Grants, your, your Chris Pratt's, they are being portrayed very much like a blue collar workers, like the proletariat. Of course, yeah, 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 yeah. Grant and Ellie and Ian Malcolm, they are all professors, which means that they must have university degrees, which in, in America means that they must somehow be well with money. Like there has to have been some kind of a financial backing so that they can pay the tuition fees in order to get the university degrees. And now they are in cozy university jobs. They are uh, researchers and scientists. That that, that much is, is true. And in, in that sense, yes, yes, they, they are in the, the upper echelon of a financial and social ladder. But the way how the films actually frame these characters, when, when you first meet Grant and Ellie, they, they are in a dusty old dick site. They, they, their clothes are dirty. And they are they are doing even though it's it's extremely technical, but they are still doing digging, which we usually see as a as a manual labor, blue collar work, something that proletariat does. That that's how how you are introduced to the heroes of the film, and then you have the capitalistic side of the characters. These are your John Hammonds. The, these are the 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 leadership of the park in the Jurassic World films, your, your Claire's who run the show. And repeatedly the dynamic is that the, the capitalistic corporate overheads, they somehow fuck it up. Like, like Hammond spares all the expense when it comes to security. The, in, the, in the first one. In the second one, John Hammond essentially bullies and kill trips and... and you know, just lures Ian Malcolm to return back to the island where he doesn't want to go, but now has to because John Hammond already shipped his lady friend there. So now it's a rescue mission. In in Jurassic World films, the the, the capitalistic overheads they are they are glowing dinosaurs, which they don't even know what the fuck they are doing. And well, Claire's. Every single choice that she makes, everybody has been pointing this out, but every single choice that that the that Claire makes in in the first Jurassic World, it's it's the wrong choice. You, you could yeah. just check if the Indominus Rex is, is in in his in, in his cage, but instead yeah. you you leave the premises, you go back to the the main uh, main center to to check it out. Like Jesus fucking Christ. And yeah. so, so they create the incident, and then the, the the proletariat hero characters have to risk life and limb to to save the the civilian, save the kids, save the the park goers. Uh, somehow try to take down the now escaped carnivores. And this is something that is ex especially strong with Jurassic World films, where which make the notion that Chris Pratt's character is an ex-soldier 
ex-Navy SEAL, if I remember correctly, but most definitely an ex-soldier. Soldiering also in, in America being pretty much a job that the lower economic classes have, have to do. Mm, therefore, since he is ex-Navy or Navy, he is able to kick some ass in the auction room and take care of, a, I don't know, how many bodyguards. Obviously well-trained, as pointed out by the interwebs. Yeah, yeah, and because, because he's ex, ex-military, he also can train velociraptors and actually make himself to be an alpha to do a whole bunch of, of carnivore dinosaurs. And also, because he's the lead character here and has been in military, that equals flawlessness. The flawless Alpha Owen, the handman. It it does to a point where even even the, the you know the Claire's sisters, kids, the two main child characters of of the first Jurassic World film starts to to appreciate Chris Pratt over Claire. Yeah, yeah. Well understandably. And well in, in Jurassic World when the chaos is happening and uh, and the Pteranodons have escaped and they are throwing the customers all over the place. Here we have the awkward kiss between Chris Pratt and the, the Aunt Claire. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, that didn't work. No. Then I'm, I'm not even sure what the um, actor Bryce Dallas Howard is meant to aim for here, as she seems to be really now interested about the well-being of the kids are you okay are you all right are you hurt and at this point they clearly choose chris pratt over her like was that meant to be genuine and if so it's really not coming through i don't feel that the character is genuine in both of the jurassic world films in any way and this is a kind of a problem in fallen kingdom because suddenly i don't know how but this despicable aunt auntie claire is now the good guy, a good girl, who has some kind of a f- foundation where she's collecting money yeah. to, to rescue the animals that she was working with. Assets. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's, there's a lot. There's, there's a lot why that happens. Like, to, 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 you know, you, you had several points. To address all of them, like, like individually... First of all, yes, yes, Auntie Claire was supposed to be genuine when, when she was worried about this, the well-being of the kids. Are you okay? That that was supposed to be the moment for the character when, when she gets fixed or when she gets repaired. Auntie Claire up until this point has been the, the woman who has put career before family. And has been, I, I don't need kids. Once again. I, I have my career. I'm a boss lady. And the film wants to frame this as Auntie Claire pre- being broken. And it's during these moments that Auntie Claire is repaired. Now now she is, is, is caring about the kids. And this is supposed to lead into this emotional fulfillation, um, fulfillment in the audiences. That at the at the closing shot, you are supposed to feel that Auntie Claire and Chris Pratt get together and have kids of their own. Oh, oh, yeah. Huh. 
uh, except no one buys it, I think. And no, no one, no one buys it. But too bad for Bryce Dallas Howard. But unfortunately, you got stuck in in Colin Trevorrow film because <laughs> Colin Trevorrow is is a man who who has some really really funny notions about women, as at least if you are to believe his films. Like, mm. like es- essentially, all women are stupid, and even an eleven-year kid is smarter than woman. That that's the what? big teaching of Book of Henry, which no, was Trevor's no. previous film. Now, careful, Henrik. Do you really want to state that? Well, well, what, what can I do? What can I do? I'm I'm working with Colin Trevor's material here. But but do you know that I actually also paid attention to the fact that okay we are in 2015 and the woman character is inherently evil until she's not and kissy kiss. Yes, and that unfortunately is what leaves us to the point you raised up with Fallen Kingdom, where Claire, Auntie Claire's character gets completely revamped into bleeding heart animal conservantist. See, Trevor and and the first Lost World, when it came out, got some flack for the fact that. Auntie Claire's character is very much like old female character, like like in in the sense mm-hmm. that she is a character the way how women were, like in a way how female characters are not supposed to be anymore. Uh, the film was was being blamed for being se- sexist and at its worst being blamed for being even misogynist in its por- portrayal of of Claire, where that the female in in charge is is completely incapable to do rational decisions makes mm. all the mistakes is overly emotional can't help but get into you know lasting chris pratt's man meat eventually is fixed when when she decides that kids are okay and I kind of want a family of my own, all of these these little things got called out by the audiences, and yeah. that's something that they actually try to course correct in in Fallen Kingdom. That yeah. that's why she now is some supposed to be some kind of action lady, and she's super interested about the dinosaurs and all all that shit, except. Once again, not a, not a, none of that works because none of that is genuine. Even though this is a Colin Trevor film and that might count as much as it might count, but this series is full of these very one-dimensional characters until proven wrong, moments before they're eaten. So it's hardly the, the first time that there are male or female characters who are completely obsessed about one goal and are completely and utterly blind for rational decision-making. Yeah, and and especially with with female characters, they're the age-old trope that, of course, they must have a love interest from the male counterpart. Yeah, because... Yeah, like, like you said that in, in the Jurassic World where the Chris Pratt's kiss scene is, is honky as hell. And you're absolutely correct. It, it is. It is. 
But the film and Colin Trevor is under the false impression that it somehow comes off, uh, off as heartfelt and genuine. Colin oh. Trevor is, is sure of himself that he now is making some kind of a fucking movie art here. And all he actually is doing, he's, he's just, you know, repeating some, he's repeating a decades old notion of quote unquote, how women work. Okay. This is from an interview directly that he makes the point about the women or you're just reading what he's doing. I'm just reading what he's doing and what he has done in, in previous films. Yeah, one, one more notion about Trevor Rowe is that he, he said in an interview that he always wanted to make Jurassic World Dominion or the kind of Jurassic World where the dinosaurs are able to go to the mainland and, and wreak havoc against the humans. He felt that there should be two movies that kind of take us there before we have the right to take the dinosaurs to the mainland. So that's exactly how Fallen Kingdom feels like. Like it's just some kind of a transition piece. Like let's get this over with and move on to the real thing that we want to tell about. Which is probably not going to work anyway. And Colin is going to direct that one now. Fallen Kingdom was directed by this friend, J.A. Bayona. Uh, yeah, who previously has had been most well known for making horror films like the orphanage and the monster calls uh, yep and did the fallen kingdoms benefit or defense or what have you i i think that the change in direction actually benefited fallen kingdom the real problem with fallen kingdom is that the script is still made, written by Trevor, who, once again, can't really change the way how the characters act or how they are. How they are. Like, you, you kind of see in, in Fallen Kingdom, you kind of see forceful attempts to somehow enemy or reactionary to the, the criticism that the first Jurassic World got. But as, as like you mentioned, none of it really works. Like Auntie Claire is, is now animal rights activist who tries to, to say, raise money. And it, it's still stupid as hell. And, and with, with Fallen Kingdom that the first two thirds of the film essentially are a rehash from from the Jurassic Park 2. The, the only interesting stuff, in my opinion, happens during the last third when they finally get to the Lockwood Manor. This is also the moment where I think that, that Bayona's directing and his experience with, with horror films kind of starts to play off. Because there is a tonal shift when once they leave the island and get to the mansion. In the mansion, it's more like a horror movie or, or something like a Dino Crisis video game. And Fallen Kingdom and to an extent The Lost World have a weird fa fascination with Jurassic Age animal torture. I don't know if you noticed that, but I, I, I found it really uncomfortable that Man creates a dinosaur and then decides to 
not help them in the moment of crisis, perhaps as they should, but they, you know, they create them and then they are swallowed by ash and lava. And you just hear the death cries of Brachiosaurus on the beach. And yeah. you see a lot of dying. You do, you do. And you in both films, you also have the white hunter guy who has to pull off a thief from, mm. from a dinosaur. In, in Jurassic Park 2, yeah. it, it's just one one moment, if I remember correctly, it's one thief that, that Peter Braithwaite's hunter character is interested in. But in, in Fallen Kingdom, Deadly Levine's hunter char character is, is just, you know, I don't know, overworked dentist, basically. Yeah, man, I, I have things to say about that character. Like, once again, a character who is completely motivated by his own thing and completely blind to anything else. And even just makes a completely absurd moment in the film where they're trying to gonna capture the the Velociraptor Blue. They completely messed up the operation. Well, I don't know what, what the hell Chris Pratt was aiming to do there, They're talking to the animal. But then they bring two sedatives into the animal. And, and then the situation, of course, goes out of hand, and then they shoot, shoot the Velociraptor with the live ammunition, which kind of serves as the inciting incident uh, as well when the hunter changes kind of the behavior or just showcases to the audience what he is really about. For example, shooting a dart into Chris Pratt for no reason at all. <laughs> and then Chris Pratt doing gymnastics to get out of the lava fields. Yeah. 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 That, that's also a moment that happens in, in the film. Um... Yeah, I really wish it would have been a moment where Chris Pratt or, or the character Owens face would be partially burned and he would be like that for the rest of the film that would have been would have been cool but, but that that would also be impossible because chris pratt is playing the asbestos man oh as he's pl plainly obvious in in that one moment where you clearly see and they see gr the lava precisely to do this so you know that it's it's intentional and not some kind of a goof but Chris Pratt's hand gets buried under burning lava and he just pulls it off. Oh, it's just because he's throwing some leaves or whatnot and then they hit the lava. That's how I took it. But oh, it could be that too. And the fact that, you know, his internal organs should have been fried at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he should actually choke when he's he yep. gets in, inside the, the, the fucking ash cloud. Yeah, you know that that's that that shit is is actually dangerous for your lungs. You shouldn't you shouldn't breathe breathe it. Yeah, this Owen just happens to be there, runs like a superhero, then mm -hmm. reemerges under the water, is able to see under the water, goes for a breather on top while all of the other animals are falling down on him. And then he swims back to the to the device and rescues the two guys. Yeah. Yeah. Superhero. Alpha male. Essentially, yeah. 
And it, but in some way, it's it's a logical conclusion for Chris Pratt's character from the first film, because the first film also wanna wants to to paint him up as some kind of a some kind of a superhero. It's just it's just too too cowardly to properly do it. So now in here you have Chris Pratt who is immune to lava and and ash and drowning and well you name it. Right. And the bad dinos and their behavior in the sequels just gets more aggressive and more nonsensical in my opinion. What the hell were those birds in Jurassic World where you have you have these pteranodons and then these other flying creatures that don't seem to be pteranodons at all, but they look like uh, I don't know, vampires. Then the birds acting really erratically they're lifting up other dinos and humans just being chaotic yeah for the fun of it yeah yeah and and since you mentioned the the flying dinos lifting up humans and getting it back to the, to the point how trevor seems to have some really funny notions about women there's also that moment in in jurassic world where what is Auntie Claire's assistant? The, the British lady who doesn't even get a name, if I remember correctly, who is originally supposed to supervise the kids, mm -hmm. gets actually killed off like really, really sadistically. She gets lift off and then dropped down and lift off again, and then she's she's being drowned a little bit more, like fucking water tortured, and eventually, you know. The, the what was the giant fish dinosaur eats her up yeah which also also feels and appears to be somewhat overly gleeful in in exactly how horrible the death is when you compare it to to, to other deaths in in the film like the animals take time in in torturing her before she gets killed. But what once again, you know, that's a female character for you in calling Trevor feature. <clears throat> yeah, and, and this trope gets repeated in the beginning of five minutes of Fallen Kingdom where there is, a, I don't know, what is the most brain-chuck-ass moment of that film and the entire franchise, but it definitely is somewhere in Fallen Kingdom where now they're again trying to find some samples of the I don't know what are, are they trying to take a sample now of the Indominus Rex because somebody lost all the samples and left them to the island or what I don't know. Well, they're there to take a sample once again, and then the one guy just cannot possibly understand the concept of a hand wave of come here. What? What? And then T Rex is behind the bushes and he gets finally eaten. And then the, the fish dinosaur, I'm sorry, I'm also failing to remember this name, but uh, yeah, that was a like, big as a bus in its time. Well, it's really interesting how you know, relatively small changes to the DNA can bring huge changes in output. Like, we're 50% similar to banana. Henrik, you are half a banana. Not not in the downstairs department, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, but uh, otherwise, I think 
there's a huge uh, stranglehold that the that DNA has, and it's it's like the DNA it actually predicts our life outcomes by up to ninety percent accuracy. So DNA tells you what is. So for example, if you have a genetic high risk for alcoholism, you have a higher risk of becoming an alcoholic. Gonna make sense, but fortunately DNA doesn't tell you what you can be. So if you are conscious about your choices and you don't go to the bar in Rovaniemi all the time, you will not become an alcoholic. Obviously, you would need alcohol for that to happen, perhaps repeated doses. And in the same way, DNA mostly defines people's intellect as well. Like, just in the same way, it defines you have two arms, you have two feet. If you're born without your feet, you'd still be able to achieve things if your environment and other factors allow you to do this. So you can either sit at home, eat pizza, and die, or you can join the Paralympics and become a world champion. So what it was kind of boiling down to is that life events matter, but they don't make a difference to your genetic makeup, at least not in any interesting amount. And, and unfortunately, there are people involved in entering areas with dangerous dinosaurs here multiple times. And clearly these people decided that life events don't matter at all. You referencing a particular plot point? I'm referring to the fact that they are unable to learn from what is bad behavior and what you should avoid to survive or to become a better person. Don't go to the fucking island at all. Yeah, maybe, maybe also don't copy, copy the business plan <laughs> of, a, of a man who, who in, invested, I, I don't know, fucking billions and zillions of dollar, dollars to, to create a personal private theme park island and then fucked up the security and, and lost everything. Maybe, maybe that's, that's not a business adventure you, you want to try again. Perhaps while you're at it, don't hire four screenwriters and repeat only three different plot scenarios in the entire franchise. Well, if anything is pretty clear from the cinematic storytelling of the film is that Russia is running away with the embryos at the end of the film. There's a plane that has a Russian flag. Hello, we're Russia. We're taking these samples. Russia the bad boy. Uh, yeah, well, but but then again, why why would you like like you know a asking like you would be a, a high paying Hollywood executive? Why would you have Russia in your film if not to be the bad guy? And to have this line, twenty millions. Twenty millions. <laughs> With the obvious Russian accent. Ah. <laughs> oh. That's why, like, the Cold War is, has ended, but Hollywood never got that notice. No, and uh, Slovakia is still Czechoslovakia. But hey, do we have any thoughts about Battle at Big Rock? <laughs> so, Not much. <laughs> it's content-wise about eight minutes, as you said. And what happens is that there is simply a family in this national park, and there is one herbivore 
I'm sorry, I'm so bad with these dino names, but there's a herbivore who comes to mess around the camp, but then the uh, Indominus Rex comes to the scene and they, and they battle it off. It, it, it's not Indominus. It, no? no? Not in my opinion. But, but it's some type of a once again, you know, T-Rex copy. Yeah. Because, because you can only have have two bad like or carnivore dinosaurs in in this franchise. Uh, I I like the fact that it, it's so simple as you know short films usually are. But you have like a premise, you have a setup, you have a payoff. There there is this uh, guy who has taught the little girl to shoot arrows, and then she shoots arrows, and it's a big plot point because the that's why the carnivore leaves the scene. You you also have once again in the end incredibly a lot of rehashed material from the from the previous films. You you once again you have you have a nuclear family which has has <laughs> got of a, a rough situation going on. This time it's not the parents; it's it's the adopted kids who kind of can't stand each other, but may, perhaps found each find. Find common ground at the end. You also have a lot of like similar situations. Like w when the Herbivores Wars first appear, you once again you have have that that shot of of the dinosaur's mouth from the side perspective. Like like it's always with with T Rex or Indominus Rex. You you also have have that that look through glass at the the carnivore dinosaur thing going on, like, mm -hmm. like it's not shot for shot, but but you you get a lot of moments where you where you notice that hey wait a minute, wait a minute I I have seen similar types of shots and situations in these films previously, whereas here we are getting down in the age scale so now the kid that is being tortured here one of them is like a baby basically having like probably lifelong traumas oh yeah uh, that, well, uh, well uh, that kid fuck that kid the kid deserves those tra traumas <laughs> like for fuck's sake like like the situation was well over overhand you you had stayed quiet about this point the current uh, the the Herbivores have left. The carnivore is almost leaving, and that's the moment you decide to cry. Fuck you. Yeah, but well, that aside, still this still battle at Big Rock. As sad as it may be, it's much better film than Fallen Kingdom. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, at, at least it's shorter, but it 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 doesn't have the Dino Crisis Mansion. <laughs> oh boy! In in, in both cases, in, in both cases, the the ending is bullshit. You you very clearly see that that Trevor is once again trying to to downplay it or, or, or prove to the audiences that he learned his lesson from the backlash of Jurassic World. Now, young younger does some epic uh, epic crossbow show, shooting. In a in a, in a, with, a, with a speed that she really couldn't shoot two arrows so close to each other, like like you know, you you 
it, it, it's not a pistol, it's not an automatic weapon. Crossbows have to be reloaded between shots. <sighs> but but you know, you know, that that's that's the moment where you can say female empowerment, I, I did a thing, and it's super obvious what's going on, and hokey as hell. But I do, I do, at least, I do credit Battle at Big Rock for the fact that, that even though, even though the female empowerment moment is, is, in my opinion, it's, it's not done with heart and it, it's not honest. It's very much manufactured moment, but perhaps accidentally, Trevor actually meant to be progressive when he gender flipped the roles between between the, the girl and the boy. Like at the very end, it's it's the the boy who takes the nurturing role of, of the small child and is is being like don't cry, don't cry, it's over. And it's the little girl who does the crossbow shooting. So yeah. you know that that is that gender swap that really is progressive so you know i i give it that much that's somewhere where trevor actually managed to do something film keeps it simple and it's over soon and doesn't bite that badly no pun intended no but it does show you that that if 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 it if battle at big rock is anything to go by when we finally yeah. get dominion it's gonna be the same bullshit it's once a, again yeah. This this feels exactly some kind of a small some small window of looking into what's about to come. Yep, and apparently, what's about to come is well, Jurassic Park once again. They they are they are enclosed environment and people have to go to to dinosaur place and and car gets wrecked. Yeah, but do you know what else? seems to be more entertaining than Fallen Kingdom apart from Battle at Big Rock. It's the TV series that we didn't watch in particular for this episode, but I checked out a couple of the first episodes and, you know, it's the main target audience here is for children, but it's like <laughs> animated uh, TV series called Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. And there's at least, at least one season out and... There, I, I found that it was really fun and simple but well written and there's an untitled live action series also on the way in some future okay um, yeah I on my end I was browsing Netflix and I found out that there is a there's a leak a Lego version. yeah there's also that in Indominus escape I I found that and I immediately skipped it and did not watch it yeah, I really don't understand this Lego fascination. Of course, it's only for kids, but but there's like at least two series with Legos, Lego dinosaurs. If you if that's your thing, go there. But speaking of going to places, should we go to the end of today's quibble? I suppose we have tackled quite a lot of subjects here. We did tackle. Blacks. We didn't go to feminism and sexism, but yeah, you are welcome, <laughs> audiences. <laughs> at at least I named those here too. Special mention for an actor. Would you raise anyone as a special mention actor in this episode? 
Ah, I, I guess that goes to, to, I don't know, Bryce Dallas Howard. Very, very <laughs> strong. No. <laughs> no. I'm quitting this podcast. No, what? What did she tickle your fancy? Be no. honest, no. I, I, I don't know. I like, you know, man, you know, trying to do quickies here today, that means me paying clo- really close eye to, to, you know, minor details for four films trying to compare acting here to acting there, line here, favorite something, something, something. And that's just, you know, too much work for me. So I I didn't do them. I, I'm checking out IMDb. Brasdars Howard was the first one that came up. You know. <laughs> that, that's a crime against the dinosaurs. Uh, last time I named Jeff Goldblum. And now I'll just might as well name Lord Attenborough, who is maybe the next most important character in the franchise. Sweet grandpa up to no good. <laughs> well, is there anything that resonated with you the most in the franchise? Any memorable experiences? No. No. No, no. I, there, there are things that I liked in, in, in the individual films. But but nothing that I would say that you know had a huge emotional impact with me. Like there there's there's moments that I feel were really nice. I I liked in in Jurassic World when Jurassic Park two when they the T Rexes push the the two the trailer down the cliff and I I like Fallen Kingdoms Dino Crisis Mansion but not nothing really. Tickles any bone in me. Well, if I can talk about the the first one, of course, it would be the Brachiosaurus moment. That's a big moment, and T Rex getting out of the cage and all that. And technically, Lost World is the best sequel out of these sequels, even with it all of its faults. And there, I particularly enjoy that that trailer dropping down the cliff slowly, even though <laughs> there's some silliness involved for example the fact that it's not now more about the actual trailer car than it is about dinos it's about trailer car survival uh, but there is that cool scene where julian moore falls on the window and tries to get off the window before she falls to her death there's some cool acrobatics when the three characters are able to hang on to that rope like they're kind of practically glued to it or something and the fact that the two T-Rexes just, they first come to the scene to throw a car, then they leave the scene, and without the baby, they come back, then they come to eat that one guy who did absolutely nothing wrong because chaos theory, then they leave again, and somehow the whole huge-ass rescue group is there, but apparently they came into no contact whatsoever with the T-Rexes that just left. But yeah, <laughs> that was the short answer, I guess. Well, I guess you don't have any adjectives for these films. <laughs> no. <laughs> Film. Movie actually boring. Bryce uh. Dallas Howard. <laughs> Lady acting. Stop. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, would you consider to watch any of this ever again? No. No? I I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I check them someday. I, I don't know why. Yeah, the, there is no real reason to go back to any of these, ex except maybe there are elements in The Lost World where I feel that the cinematography is really dark and the whole movie feels at least visually different to the first one. And I kind of like that. And the dino effects are, are still what they're supposed to be, in my opinion. Well, would you recommend The Lost World? No. No? No. <laughs> Fucking skip. Uh, but basically, so, so that we don't have, have to ask, you don't have to ask this individually, film for film. Um, my, my list is, I wouldn't really recommend any of these. <laughs> they are they are all all garbage, <laughs> skippable. Every single one of them. You you can you can check this out if if they come across like you know I don't know a streaming service they they decirculate these days, Netflix and Viaplay and God knows what. But you know if if it's supposed to be one of those deals where you're supposed to pay something like four euros or six bucks to see any of these. Just don't. None of these are worth it. Barely worth the time time investment. My ranking of of the film films would be hmm. Jurassic Park three. Oh. Jurassic Park two. Fallen Kingdom. Jurassic World. Um. From what? from from the films from the films Jurassic Park two. Is technically the best made. Surprise, surprise! It's it's Steven Spielberg. So, <clears throat> but even though it's it's technically it's very capable movie, still it it most definitely is is kind of a lackluster Spielberg feature. And yeah, I I just couldn't help. It. I fucking fell asleep when watching it. <laughs> I I I started to to doze off when the tall grass raptor chase started yeah I, I i i managed to struggle and stay awake enough that i i remember enough individual moments and then there is the moment when they ship the t-rex to the main island and the next thing i noticed i woke woke up when the t-rex had been recaptured and they were shipping it back and of course, being a professional, you pushed the rewind button and hell, I missed all of these important scenes. Let's go. Back I, I, I had to do. I, I oh, had to. <laughs> just, just, just because of this podcast. But, <laughs> True professional. But it, it still doesn't change the fact that, that with Jurassic Park 2, I fell asleep. It was that good of a film. Jurassic Park 2, I fell asleep. Jurassic Park 3 is a goddamn mess. Ooh, boy. It, it, it had a bigger budget than the previous two films, but somehow it, it feels cheaper. Yeah. Like, like Jurassic Park 3 has, has this identity of a direct-to-video B-movie. Where, where... And like you said originally in Jurassic Park episode, it's definitely a film that is it seems to be very conscious about what it's doing, that it's going to be stupid. Yeah, yeah, and and I I actually you know if, if that's what you're doing, I 
I kind of respect it. Like, mm. I I don't get I I don't get with with over ninety million dollar budget how how that's the direction you you went with. Why you feel so goddamn cheap? But that's what mm-hmm. you do. Maybe that's what you wanted to do. But I, I was at least I, I was entertained, and I, I like the theme of of Alan Grant being the last of his kind, being the dinosaur man, be, being this this kind of a disappointed. I don't want to talk about Jurassic Park type of dude. That was a nice theme, and I, I stayed awake. It's it's ninety minutes something. I, I stayed awake the entire feature. Uh, Jurassic World films. I, I learned from my mistake with Jurassic Park 2. I watched them in, in two parts. I took a break in, in middle point. So I stayed awake <laughs> through these ones. They, they are absolute rubbish. But at least Fallen Kingdom has, has a Dino Crisis mansion. <laughs> fucking Jurassic World 1 has, has, has fucking nothing. And I hated it. So, you know, you know skip all of these. Ouch. I was way off with my presumptions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned the uh, Jurassic Park 3 being fun. I think there's a bunch of a te- technical difficulties with this, with this <laughs> oh, film. Oh, boy. <laughs> like, oh, is there ever. Like, uh, the weird dialogue moments, like, please give me the bag, it's not safe. Like, like please inspect my ba- bag, Dr. Grant, because I, I need to... I, I need to... <laughs> I need to redeem myself by doing a heroic deed and then almost dying for it. And... Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and the first, first drama, they're like, you, you are as bad as, bad as you stole egg. <laughs> and, or or, or that, that, that obnoxious, that's really stupid. Like we, we somehow 3D printed that the vocal chords of a velociraptor and now you can speak raptor and and, and, and that's a stupid ass ending when the army lands on the island and Ellie Sandler made made a phone call here here is here is navy seals or something shit like that and and this I miss fishing scene <laughs> what is happening here? Well, I, I'll tell you what's happening here. They just survived the previous scene. Was it with the pteranodons in their cage? And, and then they have to make the transition. You know, they have to pause the film, kind of slow it down, calm it down for two minutes. So they have this half-assed scene of I missed fishing, which yep. serves no narrative purpose in any way. It's completely pointless. And the only reason it's there. It's because of pacing, and after that you get to the raptor scene, and then to the to the shore. Yeah, but but at least at least it had the kid who had read both Grant's and Malcolm's book. <laughs> because that was important. Yeah. That was. Yeah, when it comes to my picks, these go exactly in order. My favorite is Lost World, Jurassic Park, out of the the sequels. Then comes Jurassic Park 3, then Jurassic World, then Fallen Kingdom. And Jurassic Park, the Lost, Lost World, this is completely unnecessary and full of all kinds of sequel tropes and pacings weak and so on. But it still has that 
Spielberg magic there audiovisually. It's really on the border of to recommend to or not. It manages to have that identity that I was yammering on about. It holds the audience captivated by this mere design alone, but I don't know if that's enough. I do enjoy quite a lot that Dr. Malcolm is there to make fun of every single of those sequel tropes with his jokes. But it's a dumb film. Uh, it's always been a little bit of a tough one for me, but uh, it's a bit of a sleepwalker, isn't it, Henrik? Uh, it, is. <laughs> it is. Well, like, I, as mentioned, I, I admit it, technically it, it's well made. Like, yeah. Spielberg, even when he's lacking all, like he, today, these days, he mostly is, he, he still, like, even on autopilot, he can make technically <laughs> okay yeah. film. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's a very slight thumbs down, if I would be absolutely honest. Jurassic Park 3, it's more of the same, and the writing is my biggest gripe here. And the reasoning to inciting incident, the, the weak characters, deeply entrenched formulation, and that the plot doesn't carry the JP story in the universe anywhere in any way, except maybe those pteranodons, which it doesn't utilize. And no more of those close-ups of animatronics, if anywhere. Jurassic Park 3, no recommendation. It's popcorn trash, and, and Joe Johnston knows it. Jurassic World, it's the, the idea of a now operational park. This is okay. I think it was a Spielberg idea originally. But the execution is another thing entirely. I, I can't stand the lead characters and how they've written some, them so flat. Effects are done to to an excess, and if that injured brachiosaurus there was the only animatronic they used when it dies, even that appears a little bit plasticky. And there's the uh, genetically modified nonsense source, so it's daunting and... Uh, like, how hard is it for the series to <laughs> comprehend that it should just use more T-Rex? It's the main attraction, at least for me, it always was and always will be. I, I don't give a fuck what the Jurassic Park visitors care about. If they want more teeth or genetically modified dinosaurs, fine. Not my cup of tea. The mistreatment of T-Rex character is hor horrible. Ten years of development for this film, by the way, and still they release a weak film. It's sad. And I was officially done with the Jurassic Park or World, whatever, franchise after this film. It took me forever to get to Fallen Kingdom. No recommendation, no way in hell. Fallen Kingdom... It took two or three tries for me to finish this film originally. Ouch! Like, I've wasted enough oxygen talking about this film already, but... It's a soulless cash go... This film is really lifeless. I looked for signs of life through every nook and cranny, but no recommendation whatsoever. But Battle of Battle of Big Rock, Battle at Big Rock, on the other hand, it's easily the best of the Jurassic World films. Simple setup, conflict payoff, no meaningless human cloning subplots. It's good job. Recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> What about you for Battle at Big Rock? Nah, <laughs> <Skip. laughs> 
you, you've already said it. <laughs> not, nothing new here. Just move along, move along. No, not, nothing new to see there. It's pointless, but it's okay. It At, at least it's over in eight minutes. <laughs> but you know, even with all this nonsense today, well, it can't be in any way underestimated what Jurassic Park did, the original. It, it captured the imagination. As you said, it's, it changed the world for kids out there. It's, well, we haven't brought dinos to real life, at least yet. But Steven Spielberg did bring dinosaurs to life on screen. And it's the first time, I believe, when we see how they might look, how they might sound, move, move in herds, they do move in herds. And all their thinking and adapting in the environment, interacting. By God, 1993, Henrik, I, I, they spared no expense there. Yeah, and then years later you find out that they were more close to birds than lizards. So, you know, that's not how dinos would have looked. They well, actually, that's that's what the... Feathers the, and shit. Yeah, but Dr. Grant makes the point in the, in the film that they were closer to birds. And everybody else is opposing his opinion. But, yeah, it was a little bit disappointing for me when I noticed that, okay, maybe the dino design for for many of the dinos would be more feathery. For example, the velociraptors and I don't really care for it. I think the movie makes them look more badass. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but but you you can you can because this this is the the enlightened modern times. You can you can always always say that science is wrong. You know better, and Earth is flat. So yeah, yeah. Storm the capital and. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. That, that 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 was more entertaining than any of the Jurassic Park sequels. Uh, too lifelike. One out of five clown heads. <laughs> and everybody knows this already, but Spielberg really has a monster talent as a storyteller, even when he's not at his best. I don't love all of his films in any way, but this film, Jurassic Park original, it's also my part of my childhood it's it was transformative in a way and so was indiana jones or et or even ai for god's sakes i i, I liked ai of course jurassic park is not like flawless but it sure as hell captivates your imagination and takes you to a roller coaster ride into that movie magic place the reason why we love movies and i think it's gonna live on in the cinema history forever because steven spielberg you did it, you crazy son of a bitch, you did it. Do we have anything? You really know you're watching the Jurassic Park sequels, when? I, I don't know, I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what happens when you watch Jurassic Park sequels. When you see the same story over and over again. <laughs> God bless you, you diseased franchise. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we go back 65 million years and find new plots. <laughs> How about you know, that? You know, <laughs> that's exactly almost what I wrote in my letterbox, the review of Fallen Kingdom. 
I think they should take 65 million years of development before they make the new one. <laughs> but I'm afraid Dominion is going to come out <laughs> next year. <laughs> or, or then not, or then not, because Trevor does not want to finish the film because he knows that it would just go straight to Netflix because cinemas won't be opening. Well, it's been a pleasure dissecting the Jurassic Park sequels with you, Henrik. Any thoughts before we head to the outro? <laughs> Just head to the outro. <laughs> so, sorry it took so so long for us to, you know, co- cover the sequels. You won the listener who asked for the, the entire franchise. He- here's the episode. And, and I, I guess if, if you ever really listen, listen to this jarring and you, we can all agree why it actually took us such a long time to go through these. The, the rest of the films. Yeah, well, five films and whatnot in the episodes, so um, it takes a while. It takes a while, especially when you are when you are dealing with these franchises and this podcast and this podcast and these assholes. <laughs> well, in the next episode, if you don't mind, I'm not particularly. Excited to watch Hellraiser right now, right off the bat, but yeah, surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> seven, seven, seven fucking films with with, with decreasing quality. <laughs> how, how how come you are not enthusiastic about the opportunity? But in the next episode, I was thinking since as an international podcast, I think we have to watch other stuff than Steven Spielberg blockbusters. Would you like to go to, to China with me for the first time in this ep- in this podcast history? Uh, well, well, three years in the making, I guess it's about time time. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, what are we gonna, gonna watch? Bad documentaries. Well, I had this plot here that we could watch the movies of Hubo because there aren't too many of them anyway and it would be a kind of a nice breather <laughs> already in the beginning here it consists of two short films and then there is this one full feature length film which is four hours but bear with me I believe there will be a lot of topics that would be interesting to dive into such as the meaning of life going on with the life themes or the value of life. Everything life. It always finds a way. Why not? And whether life is worth living, actually. Well, that's easy to answer. No. And thank you for joining us. <laughs> and <laughs> see, you in, see you in a fortnight. <laughs> not next week anymore. <laughs> this is going to be one episode per two weeks, so... And we would like to invite you to continue this conversation with us online about the Jurassic Park sequels or whatever is on your mind on our socialistic media pages. And unless we get banned from these platforms as certain other person, but we'll hope you'll also leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. See you next time. <laughs> Until then. That's quite not right how the lizards are eating the people in this household.